are listening to the most original talk radio station anywhere. We are L.A. Talk Radio at latalkradio.com. You can support Sapphire Planet by visiting the online store at sapphireplanet.com. Welcome. Your journey is just beginning. You are now entering the Sapphire Planet. Sapphire Planet. At its peak in the late 1960s and early 1970s, Pan Am advertised under the slogan, The World's Most Experienced Airline. It carried 6.7 million passengers in 1966, and by 1968, its 150 jets flew to 86 countries on every continent, except for Antarctica. Over a scheduled route network of 81,410 unduplicated miles, During that period, the airline was profitable and its cash reserves totaled $1 billion. Most routes were between New York, Europe, and South America and between Miami and the Caribbean. In 1964, Pan Am began a helicopter shuttle between New York's John F. Kennedy, LaGuardia, and Newark airports, and Lower Manhattan, operated by New York Airways. Aside from the DC-8s, the Boeing 707s, and 747s, the Pan Am jet fleet included Boeing 720Bs and 727s, which, incidentally, were the first aircraft to sport Pan Am rather than Pan American on its side. The airline later had Boeing 737s and Airbus A300s and A310s. Pan Am owned the Intercontinental Hotel chain and had a financial interest 
in the Falcon Jet Corporation, which held marketing rights to the Dassault Falcon 20 business jet in North America. The airline was involved in creating a missile tracking range in the South Atlantic and operating a nuclear engine testing laboratory in Nevada. In addition, Pan Am had participated in several notable humanitarian flights. At its height, Pan Am was well regarded for its modern fleet and experienced crews. Cabin staff were multilingual and usually college graduates, frequently with nursing training. Pan Am's onboard service and cuisine, inspired by Maxims de Paris, were delivered with a personal flair that has rarely been equaled. With the growing competition on many of its routes, Pan Am began investing in such upcoming innovations as the new jet airliners and widebody types. Pan Am was the launch customer of the Boeing 707, placing an order for 20 in October 1955. It also ordered 25 of Douglas's DC-8s for additional revenue-generating capacity due to this type's ability to seat six across, as opposed to the five-abreast seating Boeing had originally offered on its 707. The combined order value was $269 million. To maintain its competitive lead as the first U.S. aircraft manufacturer to offer a jetliner and meet its rival's competitive challenge, Boeing modified the initial design of the 707's fuselage to seat six passengers across as well. The airline inaugurated transatlantic jet service from New York Idlewild to Paris Le Bourget, stopping at Gander to refuel on October 26, 1958, with Boeing 707-121 Clipper America, tail number N711PA, with 111 passengers. Introduction of the 320 Intercontinental Series 707 in 1959 and the Douglas DC-8 in March 1960 enabled non-stop transatlantic crossings with a viable payload in both directions. The later 707s increased capacity, reduced seat mile costs, helping Pan Am dominate the transatlantic market. Pan Am was the launch customer of the Boeing 747, placing a $525 million order for 25 in April of 1966. On January 15, 1970, First Lady Pat Nixon christened a Pan Am Boeing 747 named Clipper Young America at Washington Dulles in the, president, in the presence of President Najib Halabi. During the next few days, Pan Am flew several 747s 
to major airports in the United States as a public relations effort, allowing the public to tour the planes. Pan American began its final preparations for the first 747 service on the evening of January 21, 1970, when the Clipper Young American was scheduled to fly from New York JFK to London Heathrow. An engine failure delayed the inaugural flight's departure for several hours, necessitating the substitution of another 747, which eventually flew to London's Heathrow. Passengers cheered and drank champagne as the jet finally lifted off from the runway at JFK Airport. Pan Am carried 11 million passengers over 20 billion miles in 1970. The year it revolutionized air travel was the first wide-body airliner. Pan Am was one of the first three airlines to sign options for the Aerospecial BAC Concorde. But like other airlines that took out options, with the exception of BOAC and Air France, it did not purchase the supersonic jet. Pan Am was the first U.S. airline to sign for the Boeing 2707, the American supersonic transport project, with 15 delivery positions reserved. These aircraft never saw service after the U.S. Congress voted against additional funding in 1971. Pan Am commissioned IBM to build Panamac, a large computer that booked airline and hotel reservations, which was installed in 1964. It also held large amounts of information about cities, countries, airports, aircrafts, hotels, and even restaurants. The computer occupied the fourth floor of the Pan Am building, which was the largest commercial office building in the world for some time. The airline also built Worldport, a terminal building at John F. Kennedy Airport in New York. It was distinguished by its elliptical four-acre roof, suspended far from the outside columns of the terminal below by 32 sets of steel posts and cables. The terminal was designed to allow passengers to board and disembark via stairs without getting wet by parking the nose of the aircraft under the overhang. The introduction of the jet bridge made this feature obsolete. Pan Am built a gilded training building in the style of Edward Durrell Stone designed by Stuart Skinner Architects in Miami. From 1950 until 1990, Pan Am operated a comprehensive network of high-frequency, short-haul schedule services between West Germany and West Berlin. First with Douglas DC-4s, 
and then with DC-6Bs from 1954 and Boeing 727s from 1966. This had come about as a result of an agreement between the United States, the United Kingdom, France, and the Soviet Union at the end of World War II, which prohibited Germany from having its own airline and restricted the provisions of commercial air services from and to Berlin to air transport providers headquartered in these four countries. Rising Cold War tensions between the Soviet Union and the three Western powers resulted in unilateral Soviet withdrawal from the Quadripartite Allied Control Commission in 1948, culminating in the division of Germany the following year. These events, together with Soviet insistence on very narrow interpretation of the post-war agreement on the Western powers' access rights to Berlin, meant that until the end of the Cold War, air transport in West Berlin continued to be confined to the carriers of the remaining Allied Control Commission powers, with aircraft required to fly across hostile East German territory through three 20-mile-wide air corridors at a maximum altitude of 10,000 feet. The airline's West Berlin operation consistently accounted for more than half of the city's entire commercial air traffic during that period. Pan Am also operated rest and recreation flights, otherwise known as R&R flights, during the Vietnam War. These flights carried American service personnel for R&R leaves into Hong Kong, Tokyo, and other Asian cities. In August 1953, Pan Am scheduled passenger flights to 106 airports. In May 1968, to 122 airports. In November 1978, to 65 airports. In November 1985, to 98 airports. And in November 1991, to 46 airports. The oil crisis of 1973. Pan Am had invested in a large fleet of Boeing 747s in the expectation that demand for air travel would continue to rise. This was not the case, as the simultaneous introduction of a large number of these high-capacity aircraft by Pan Am and its principal competitors coincided with an economic slowdown. Reduced demand for air travel following the 1973 oil crisis made the airline industry's overcapacity problem worse, leaving Pan Am with its high overheads and fixed costs as a result of a large decentralized infrastructure in a vulnerable position. In addition, High jet fuel prices and a large number of older, less fuel-efficient, narrow-bodied airplanes in its fleet significantly increased the airline's operating costs. Federal routes 
awards to other airlines, such as the Trans-Pacific route case, further reduced the number of passengers Pan Am carried, as well as its profit margins. On September 23, 1974, a group of Pan Am employees published an advertisement in the New York Times to register their disagreement over federal policies which they felt were harming the financial viability of their employer, Pan Am. The ad cited discrepancies in airport landing fees, such as Pan Am paying $4,200 to land a plane in Sydney, while the Australian carrier Qantas paid only $178 to land a jet in Los Angeles. The ad also contended that the United States Postal Service was paying foreign airlines five times as much to carry U.S. mail in comparison to Pan Am. Finally, the ad questioned why the Export-Import Bank of the United States loaned money to Japan, France, and Saudi Arabia at 6% interest, while it loaned money to Pan Am at 12%. By the mid-1970s, Pan Am had racked up $364 million of accumulated losses over a 10-year period, and its debts approached $1 billion. This threatened the airline with bankruptcy. Former American Airlines Vice President of Operations William T. Sewell, who had replaced previous President Najib Halabi as Pan Am President in 1972, began implementing a turnaround strategy that entailed trimming the network by 25%, slashing the 40,000-person-strong workforce by 30%, including wage cuts introducing stringent economies and rescheduling debt, in addition to reducing the size of the fleet. The measure aided by the use of tax laws credits enabled Pan Am to avert financial collapse and return to profitability in the year 1977. Since the 1930s, Juan Trip had coveted domestic routes for Pan Am. Throughout the late 1950s and early 1960s, as well as in the mid-1970s, the airline attempted to merge with American Airlines, Eastern Airlines, and Transworld Airlines, as rival airlines convinced Congress that Pan Am would use its political clout to monopolize all U.S. air routes the CAB repeatedly denied the airline permission to operate within the United States, either as a result of organic growth or a merger with another airline. As consequence, Pan Am remained an American carrier operating international routes only. The last time Pan Am was permitted to merge with another airline prior to the deregulation 
of the airline industry in the United States was 1950, when it took over American Overseas Airlines. Following the U.S. airline industry's deregulation in 1978, a growing number of U.S. domestic operators began competing with Pan Am internationally. In order to acquire domestic routes, Pan Am, under President Sewell, set its eyes on national airlines. Pan Am wound up in a bidding war with Frank Lorenzo, which greatly raised the price of national stock. Nevertheless, Pan Am was granted permission to buy national in 1980 in what was then described as the coup of the decade. The acquisition of National Airlines for $437 million further burdened Pan Am's balance sheet, which was already under strain as a result of financing the large number of Boeing 747s that were ordered in the mid-1960s. This acquisition did little to improve Pan Am's competitive position in relation to nimbler, lower-cost competitors, in a deregulated industry, as National Airlines' north-south route structure provided insufficient feed at Pan Am's transatlantic and transpacific gateways in New York and Los Angeles. In addition, both airlines had incompatible fleets, apart from the Boeing 727s and incompatible corporate cultures. And the integration was poorly handled by Pan Am management, who presided over an increase in labor costs as a result of harmonizing National Airlines' pay scales with Pan Am's. Although revenues increased by 62% from 1979 to 1980, Fuel costs from the merger increased by 157% during a weak economic climate. Further, miscellaneous expenses increased by 74%. As 1980 progressed and the airline's financial situation worsened, Sewell began selling Pan Am's non-core assets the first asset to be sold off was the airline's 50% interest in the Falcon Jet Corporation in August. Later in November, Pan Am sold the iconic Pan Am building to the Metropolitan Life Insurance Company for $400 million. In September 1981, Pan Am sold off its Intercontinental Hotels chain. Before this transaction closed, Sewell was replaced by C. Edward Acker, Air Florida's founder and ex-president, as well as a former Braniff international executive. The combined sale value of the Intercontinental chain and the Falcon Jet Corp. sake was $500 million. Acker followed up the asset disposal program he had inherited from his predecessor with operational cutbacks. Most prominent among these was the discontinuation 
of the Round the World Service from October 1930, October 31, 1982, when Pan Am ceased flying between Delhi, Bangkok, and Hong Kong due to the sector's unprofitability. To provide additional seating capacity for its 1983 spring-summer season, the airline also acquired three Boeing 747-200B passenger aircraft from Flying Tigers, who took four of Pan Am 747-100 freighters in return. Despite Pan Am's precarious financial situation during the summer of 1984, Acker went ahead with an order for a new Airbus A300, A310, and A320 wide and narrow-bodied aircraft. These technologically advanced aircraft were economically and operationally superior to the 747s and 727s Pan Am operated at the time were intended to make the airline more competitive. Brand new A300s began replacing aging 727s on the international German service and Caribbean networks later the same year, while subsequently delivered new A310s replaced some of the 747s on the slimmed-down transatlantic network following ETOP certification, which is approval by the Federal Aviation Administration of transoceanic flying with twin-engine aircraft. Pan Am's decision not to take delivery of the A320s and sell its delivery position to Braniff meant that the majority of its short-haul U.S. domestic and European mainliner feeder routes, as well as most of its IGS services, continued to be flown with technologically obsolete 727s until the airline's demise. This put it at a commercial disadvantage against rivals operating state-of-the-art aircraft with greater passenger appeal. In September 1984, Pan American World Airways created a holding company called Pan Am Corporation to assume ownership and control of the airline and the services division. Given the airline's dire state in April 1985, Acker sold Pan Am's entire Pacific division, which consisted of 25% of its entire route system, to United Airlines for $750 million. This, also, this sale also enabled Pan Am to address fleet incompatibility issues related to the earlier acquisition of National Airlines, as it included Pan Am's Pratt & Whitney JT9D-powered 747SPs, its Rolls-Royce RB211-powered L1011s, and the General Electric CFC-powered DC-10s inherited from National, which were transferred to United along with the Pacific routes. In the early 1980s, Pan Am contracted several regional airlines, Air Atlanta, Emerald Air, Empire Airlines, Presidential Airways, 
and Republic Airlines to operate feeder flights under the Pan Am Express branding. The acquisition of Pennsylvania-based commuter airline Ransom Airlines for $65 million, which was finalized in 1987, was meant to address the issue of providing additional feed for Pan Am's mainline services at its hubs in New York, Los Angeles, and Miami in the United States, and Berlin in Germany. The renamed Pan Am Express operated routes mostly from New York, as well as from Berlin, Germany. Miami services were added in 1990. However, the regional Pan Am Express operation provided only an incremental feed to Pan Am's international route system, which was now focused on the Atlantic Division. In an attempt to gain a presence on the busy Washington-New York-Boston commuter air corridor, the ransom acquisition was accompanied by the $100 million purchase of New York's air shuttle service between Boston, New York, and Washington, D.C. This parallel move was intended to enable Pan Am to provide a high-frequency service for high-yield business travelers in direct competition with the long-established, successful Eastern Airlines shuttle operation. The renamed Pan Am Shuttle began operating out of LaGuardia Airport refurbished historic Marine Air Terminal in October 1986. However, it did not address the pressing issue of Pan Am's continuing lack of strong domestic feeder network. Thomas G. Plaskett, a former American Airlines and Continental executive, replaced Acker as president in January 1988. While a program to refurbish Pan Am aircraft and improve the company's on-time performance began showing positive results, in fact, Pan Am's most profitable quarter ever was the third quarter in the year 1988. On December 21, 1988, however, the terrorist bombing of the Pan Am Flight 103 above Lockerbie, Scotland, resulted in 270 fatalities. Pan Am's iconic image had made it a repeated target for terrorists, resulting in many travelers avoiding the airline as they had begun to associate it with danger. Faced with a $300 million lawsuit filed by more than 100 families of the Pan Am Flight 103 victims, the airline subpoenaed records of six U.S. government agencies, including the CIA, the Drug Enforcement Administration, and the State Department. Though the records suggested that the U.S. government was aware of the warnings of a bombing and failed to pass the information to Pan Am, the families claimed Pan Am was attempting to shift the blame to the government. Also in December 1988, the FAA fined Pan Am for 19 security failures 
out of the 236 security failures that were detected amongst all 29 airlines. In June 1989, Plaskett presented Northwest Airlines with a $2.7 billion takeover bid that was backed by Bankers Trust, Morgan Guarantee Trust, Citicorp, and Prudential Beige. The proposed merger was Pan Am's final attempt to create a strong domestic network to provide sufficient feed for the two remaining mainline hubs at New York JFK and Miami. It was also intended to help airline regain its status as a global airline by re-establishing a sizable trans-Pacific presence. The merger was expected to result in an annual savings of $240 million. In the event, billionaire financier Al Chichichi outbid Pan Am by presenting Northwest directors with a superior proposal. Fallout from the 1990-1991 Persian Gulf War The first Gulf War triggered by the Iraqi invasion of Kuwait on August 2, 1990, sent fuel prices skyrocketing, which severely depressed global economic activity. This, in turn, caused a sharp contraction of worldwide air travel demand, plunging once-profitable operations, including Pan Am's prime transatlantic routes, into steep losses. These unforeseen events consisted a further major blow to Pan Am, which was still reeling from the 1988 Lockerbie disaster. To shore up its finances, Pan Am sold most of its routes serving London Heathrow, arguably Pan Am's most important international destination, to United Airlines. This left Pan Am with only two daily London flights serving Detroit and Miami, which used Gatwick as their London terminal from the start of the 1991 winter timetable. Further asset disposals included Pan Am's sale of its IGS routes to Berlin and Lufthansa for $150 million, which became effective at the same time and brought the total value of the asset disposal to $1.2 billion. These measures were accompanied by the elimination of 2,500 jobs, roughly 9% of its workforce. These cutbacks had already been announced by the airline in September of 1990. Pan Am was forced to declare bankruptcy on January 8, 1991. Delta Airlines purchased the remaining profitable assets of Pan Am, including its remaining European routes and Frankfurt Mini Hub, the shuttle operation, 45 jets, and the Pan Am World Airport at John F. Kennedy Airport for $416 million. 
Delta also injected $100 million, becoming a 45% over owner of the reorganized but smaller Pan Am serving the Caribbean, Central and South America from a main hub in Miami. The airline's creditors would hold the other 55%. The Boston, New York, LaGuardia, Washington, D.C., National Pan Am Shuttle Service was taken over by Delta in September 1991. Two months later, Delta assumed all of Pan Am's remaining transatlantic tri- traffic rights except Miami to Paris and London. In October 1991, former Douglas Aircraft Executive Russell Ray Jr was hired by Pan Am's new president and CEO. As part of this restructuring, Pan Am relocated its headquarters from the Pan Am building in New York City to new offices in the Miami area in preparation for the airline's relaunch from both Miami and New York on November 1st, 1991. The new airline would have operated approximately 60 aircraft and generated about $1.2 billion in avenue revenues with about 7,500 employees. Following the relaunch, Pan Am continued to sustain heavy losses. Revenue throughout October and November 1991 fell short of what had been anticipated in the reorganization plan, with Delta claiming that Pan Am was losing $3 million a day. This undermined Delta's, Wall Street's, and the traveling public's confidence in the viability of the reorganized Pan Am. Pan Am senior executives outlined a project shortfall of between $100 million and possibly $200 million, with the airline requiring a $25 million installment just to fly through the following week. On the evening of December 3rd, Pan Am's Creditors Committee advised U.S. Bankruptcy Judge Cornelius Blackshear that it was close to convincing an airline, TWA, to invest $15 million to keep Pan Am operating. A deal with TWA owner Carl Icahn could not be struck. Pan Am opened for business at 9 a.m., and within an hour, Ray was forced to withdraw Pan Am's plan of reorganization and execute an immediate shutdown plan for Pan Am. Over 9,000 employees lost their jobs. As a result of this action, Delta was sued for more than $2.5 billion on December 9, 1991 by the Pan Am Creditors Committee. Shortly thereafter, a large group of former Pan Am employees sued Delta. In December 1994, a federal judge ruled in favor of Delta, concluding that it was not liable for Pan Am's demise.
Pan Am ceased operations on December 4, 1991, following a decision by Delta CEO Ron Allen and other senior executives not to go ahead with the final $25 million payment Pan Am was scheduled to receive the weekend after Thanksgiving. As a result, some 9,000 Pan Am employees lost their jobs, thousands of whom had worked in the New York City area and were preparing to move to the Miami area to work at Pan Am's new headquarters near Miami International Airport. Economists predicted that 9,000 jobs in the Miami area, including jobs at companies not connected to Pan Am that were dependent on the airline's presence, would be lost after it folded. The carrier's last flown scheduled operation was Pan Am Flight 436, which departed that day from Bridgetown, Barbados at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Miami under the command of Captain Mark Pyle, flying Clipper Goodwill, a Boeing 727-200, tail number N. 368-PA. Pan Am was the third major airline to shut down in 1991 after Eastern Airlines and Midway Airlines. After serving only two months as Pan Am's CEO, Ray was replaced by Peter McHugh to supervise the sale of Pan Am's remaining assets by Pan Am's Creditors Committee. Pan Am's last remaining hub at Miami International Airport was split during the following years between United Airlines and American Airlines. TWA's Carl Icahn purchased Pan Am Express at a court-ordered bankruptcy auction for $13 million, renaming it Transworld Express. The Pan Am brand was sold to Charles Cobb, CEO of Cobb Partners and former United States Ambassador to the Republic of Iceland under President George H.W. Bush and under Secretary of the U.S. Department of Commerce under President Reagan. Cobb, along with Hannah Frost Partners, invested in a new Pan American World Airways headed by veteran airline executive Martin R. Chagru, Jr., a former Pan Am executive with 20 years' experience at the original carrier. In his book, Pan Am, An Aviation Legend, Barnaby Conrad III contends that the collapse of the original Pan Am was a combination of corporate mismanagement, government indifference to protecting its prime international carrier, and a flawed regulatory policy. Under the terms of the bankruptcy, the airline's International Flight Academy in Miami was permitted to remain open. It was established as an independent training organization beginning in 1992 under its current name, Pan Am International Flight Academy. 
The company began operating by using the flight simulation and type rating training centers of the defunct Pan Am. In 2006, American Capital Strategies invested $58 million into the Academy. Pan Am International Flight Academy is the only surviving division of Pan American World Airways. Aside from the aforementioned Flight Academy, the Pan Am brand has been resurrected six times after 1991, but the reincarnations were related to the original Pan Am in name only. Pan Am World Airways trademarks and some assets were purchased by Eclipse Holdings Incorporated at an auction by the U.S. Bankruptcy Court on December 2nd and 3rd, 1993. The scheduled airline rights were sold to Pan American Airways on December 20th through 29th, 1993 by Eclipse Holdings, which was to retain the Pan American Charter rights and operate through its subsidies, Pan Am Charters, Inc., now Airways Corporation. The first reincarnation of the original Pan Am operated from 1996 to 1998 with a focus on low-cost, long-distance flights between the United States and the Caribbean with the IATA airline designator, PN. The second was unrelated to the first and was a small regional carrier based in Portsmouth, New Hampshire that operated between 1998 and 2004. It found its niche in operating unusually at a smaller airports near major ones, such as Pease International Portsmouth and Gary Municipal Airports in Indiana. Under the IATA code PA and the ICAO code PAA. Boston Maine Airways, a sister company of the second reincarnation, operated the Pan Am Clipper Connection brand from 2004 to February 2008. A domestic airline in the Dominican Republic descended from the company's first reincarnation traded until March 23, 2012 as Pan Am Dominica. In November 2010, Pan Am's Airways Incorporated was resurrected for the fifth time by a company named Worldwide Consolidated Logistics Incorporated. The reincarnated operator is based at Brownsville South Padre Island International Airport in Brownsville, Texas. The airline's inaugural flight was to Monterey, Mexico on November 12, 2010. The airline said it would carry cargo only at first, but intended to announce passenger service by 2011. However, due to serious legal issues that were leveled against the company's CEO, Robert L. Hedrick, in 2012, he was eventually connect- convicted the company lost its bid with the FAA to pursue passenger or cargo flights of any kind. In 2012, 
Pan American Airways Global Holdings was incorporated. This is the sixth attempt to resurrect Pan Am brand. The new airline plans to offer both domestic and international service branded under the auspices of Pan American Global Airways and is initially is planning a main hub facility situated in Atlanta, Georgia. Your journey is now ending. You are now leaving the Sapphire Planet. Goodbye from the Sapphire Planet. Own a piece of the planet. Now you can purchase Sapphire Planet merchandise online at sapphireplanet.com.